welcome back. It's Susan Teltman, uh, the sitting member, federal member from Macquarie. Hello, lovely to see you and to be back in the studio. I reckon. And she's ducked in to say good day to catch up and there's your breath of fresh air. What's been happening, Susie? Well, it is such a glorious day. I was tempted to stand outside in the sun for a bit, but, but <laughs> I thought I'd better come in and have a chat. <laughs> yes, well, I was just saying earlier, you know, I knew you were coming in and that, and you know, Barry Calvert, I said, if, if he can hear us, he can come in too. Don't be lost on us, Barry. You know, you have ratepayers out there wanting to let you know what's happening around the area as well. I think we've all been really mindful of COVID-19 and making sure we limit the contacts we have. You know, you don't want to be the politician who spread coronavirus through your community, do you? Like America <laughs> and England. and Well, that's right. And we Australians have responded so well to the requests to stay safe, to stay at home, to be socially distanced, to wash hands a lot, that we have done remarkably well. And I think the challenge is, as the restrictions ease, that we maintain that vigilance um, because it isn't time to let your guard down yet. No, especially at my age. They reckon over 65 in America, 80% of the deaths of people over 65. Yeah, I think we were all shocked too to see the death in Queensland of a 30-year-old yes, uh, who didn't realise that he had COVID. So, yeah, it is something we're going to have to be really mindful and life is not going to go back to what it was. There'll be a new normal, but hopefully the easing of restrictions will just help businesses hang on a bit longer. They've been doing it really tough, as as has everyone who's had less work or lost work. Mm. Um, You know, it is, we haven't yet seen the economic impact sort of flow through. Well, we see Peter Dutton this morning, just in the news there, he's into uh, Palaszczuk from Queensland, the, the Premier up there. Open your borders. So we have different uh, different states with different things. What's your view on that, Susie? Well, the states are able to make their own judgment calls based on the medical advice they're getting. Mm. And New South Wales and Victoria have obviously decided to open up, but South Australia hasn't. Uh, Western Australia's being very cautious. Yeah, and obviously Queensland. Queensland uh, you know, but it does have an economic consequence. The oh, thing yes. is, we, we always have to put health ahead of wealth. Yeah. And that, but they're hard decisions, and governments need to be able to support businesses to make those right decisions. Pauline Hanson, she's thrown in a big uh, spanner in the works in Queensland. She wants the borders to be open and taken to the High Court. She wants to, everyone to throw in a million dollars. Oh, Pauline, eh? she's always after the human headline. Look, look I indeed, that's a good way to describe <laughs> it. I saw the headline, I didn't read the details. Oh, <laughs> right, yeah, it's all unfolding. But, you know, I think what's different here is our community, our um, local retail and business community is not coping just with COVID, but it still hadn't recovered from the bushfires. Uh, And I got some um, data, some rough data to see the assessment of the impact on bushfires for the Hawkesbury. Okay. And it took about a 30% uh, hit to the economy during those fires. The mountains was was twice that, but it's a significant hit. It just means there's 30% less money being spent through local businesses. So our businesses had faced that and then yep. and then they got hit before they even had time to draw a smoke-free yes. breath. They were hit with COVID. So we're continuing to say to the government, look, yes, you've got to have enough in place to support businesses to cope with COVID, but don't forget areas like the Hawkesbury and the Blue Mountains and obviously the South Coast need more because we already had, you know, the the bushfire. More funding or...? 
more support and it usually takes the form of dollars in some way or another. Um, there's also a need for mental health support. Oh, for sure. Um, I've been speaking with people down in the south coast just to see how they're coping with the fires and they're very conscious that it's taking a toll. Some have contacted me because they're not getting the support they need from the government. And, of course, our local businesses, our orchardists, are still fighting yep. to Bill get... Pin, places like yeah, that. Yeah, they're still fighting to get the support they need to replant. Well, Josh Freinberg, he'd probably use some of that $60 billion that he forgot about. Maybe okay, we could use some of that. <laughs> gee, if only I forgot about $60 billion. <laughs> Look, there's a couple of things to say about that. Can you imagine the outcry? if that had been Labor who had underestimated I, I can imagine. spend. So there's this, it's really interesting seeing this attempt to spin it into, oh, this is really good news. Well, no, what it means is that businesses who potentially needed that funding to keep their staff subsidised and therefore keep them on are not seeing it. And it's $60 billion that's not going back into the economy. Uh, so I think... Where will it go? Well, it'll just... It, it, it won't be borrowed. It, it will just, I don't know, it, it just won't go. exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, you can't think of um, an, a, a country's economy and balance sheet like you do a household balance sheet. Right. Completely different things. You and I, for a start, don't have the ability to create money. That's just a very fundamental thing. You and I can't decide to print more money. If only we could. Governments can. <laughs> but governments can and governments yeah. around the world recognise they're going to need these calls. Okay, mm. and if you can do it, you're probably going to end up in jail for it Bro if you do it at a household exactly. level. Exactly. <laughs> so so from next Monday, June the 1st, we um, I've got it here, travelling to regional New South Wales for holiday is allowed, visiting museums, galleries, libraries, pubs, clubs and cafe, restaurants. Now, there's, you know, there's, there's half a million people alone just in those three things. 50 customers. I've talked to publicans, restaurants. Ten, when it was 10, waste of time. Wouldn't open the doors. And that's yeah, widespread. Right. What a waste of time. Well, look, the smaller you are, the more manageable 10 is. Now, the challenge with 50 is that you've still got to keep the four square the metre rule. Yeah. So you might be allowed to have 50, but you might be at capacity with 50. And honestly, a lot of our smaller restaurants can't seat 50 anyway. But under the new rules, you've still got to have the four square metres per person rule. Right. So you're not going to suddenly walk in and see Lockheel House packed with um, patrons because they are still going to have to respect the distance rules. Uh, so it isn't, you know, it's not a quick fix, but it is certainly a really important next step to reopen the economy and right. to give businesses the chance to give that a go and see how it goes. Um, but we're also really mindful that the more you increase people's contact with each other, the more likely we are to see cases of active coronavirus. And Really, the message needs to be to people, by all means, go out, visit regional areas, maybe have a staycation. If you're in the Hawkesbury, visit the mountains. If you're in the mountains, visit the Hawkesbury. Yes, um, exactly. And go and stay because it's the accommodation. Go bush. I keep on saying that. Go bush. Spend money in New South Wales. Don't worry about overseas. Not you can go in here. I was that's supposed to right. go to America next month. I think that's off the off the list. You know, yeah. I had New York. I was, I was going to visit there. Forget yeah. about it. Yeah, I, um, yeah. <laughs> I think we're all, many of us are in that boat. Do you think, you think society? Society will be the same after this. Like no. it's not like the Ebola and all those other things that sort of come and went. Do you think people still go? Oh, you know. I'm not no, I think what's been interesting is this is a reminder to us all that we're human and we're yes. fallible, and that 
disease can strike us. You know, I think we feel pretty superhuman because we get inoculated against The younger ones do, yeah. Well, I think all of us, you know, we can we can inoculate our kids so they don't get a whole lot of diseases, you know, including cervical cancer. So we've really progressed a long way. But this um, contagion reminds us that there are still things that can that we can't we can't manage and control. Now, Australia has done the very best. The benefit of being an island means that yeah. we could contain it in a way that some other places couldn't. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it isn't over yet. Uh, and so when we talk about going back to whatever we go to, it won't be the same, but it'll also be a little while away until the things we took for granted. Never the same or not no, for a long we, while? I think the world changes constantly. So, you know, you never go back. Uh, people might have thought at one point we're heading back towards the picket fences of the 50s and, and I, for one, have had a picket fence, but you can't actually go back. Like society moves, constantly moves on whether you like it or not. Okay. You know, so I think we need to, we need to embrace the changes uh, and make sure they work for us as individuals, yeah. as families, as workers, as employers. Hawks Free Radio. Okay, Susie, like, well, I know you have a tight schedule. What else can we touch on that you would? Well, the big things locally, um, there's two things. One is bushfire. Uh, recovery, which is still underway. And there's been a really good announcement by the government of $448.5 million for right. a regional bushfire development fund. Now, what that means is it's a bucket of money that's set aside for the most badly affected local government areas. And obviously, the Blue Mountains and the Hawkesbury are eligible yes, for some of that Yes, for funding. sure. Uh, for equipment, is that... No, it's for building something or renovating a fire station space. or No, we're thinking bigger than that. So there is talk the Bilpin Tourist Group have resurrected a plan from twenty years ago for a Bilpin visitors centre. Now right. this was talked about when World Heritage first came in and there was a some land set aside owned by national parks for this for this to be built. Um, but something happened and the money got diverted uh -huh. to the Blue Mountains Cultural Centre and to Mount Tomar. But the plan, there was an, um, a competition to design the plans. So there's this beautiful design. Now it's 20 years old. Right. Obviously needs to be updated. But that's the sort of project, if everyone gets behind it, I'm certainly behind it at a federal level. I've spoken to the Minister for Disaster Recovery. I've spoken to the Foreign Minister and to the Head of the Recovery, Andrew Colvin, about it and promoted it as the sort of concept that could really um, bring long-term visitor value to the Bell's Line of Road uh, region. I've been through it a few times now when I go bush to support people in the bush, Bathurst, you know, or a little place called Yagara, Parks, Forbes, uh, or my hometowns, and, and and it's beautiful. Like that, you said they got they got the drought, they got the whole they got the whole deal, but they weren't they, the virus wasn't as bad up there. But four hundred million will certainly go a long way. Well, we wouldn't get all of the four hundred million, so we we'll settle two. We would get a share. Yeah, you know, we could be. I, I can't even guess how much. It depends on the quality of the proposal, but it can't just be me who's supporting the community with it. It needs to be formal support from council and from the state member. So all tiers of government need to be saying yes. And what's more, we need to work with the community and the existing businesses to come up with the refinement around it so that it really fits the tourism. Needs 
needs up there. And I can't pretend to know those needs. The local operators know what's there now, what more could be there. But the one idea I've had is how fantastic to use it as a way to educate people about bushfires and bushfire yes. recovery in our World Heritage Area. What a better, uh, so better place than Belpin. Exactly. Instead of Mount Tomar, like which is a botanical garden, but well, really that's right. Different focus. Different Mount focus. Tomar has a different focus, a different audience, and there's no yes. reason why they need to compete. It gives people even more reason to stay longer in the Hawkesbury, and that's one of the things we need to increase the reasons for people to come and stay for even longer time, so that those who operate accommodation, the restaurants who feed them, have visitors here for longer. So that's just one of the really exciting things. There are some positive things. And now the challenge is I've written to council and sought their formal support to uh, bring bring people together on this proposal. Um, and certainly the Bilpin tourism operators are very active. Right. So, so that's one thing. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. Susan Telpman's in the studio, sitting federal member for Macquarie, and wasn't a wonderful day for um, the big pine trees up in Thompson Square, Susie. Let's let's talk about bridges. Yeah, the I think they're silky oaks, and silky it is oak. really sad to see mm. those felled as part of the project. I mean, clearly the whole square. You know, you talk about can you go back? Well, clearly it will never go back to anything close to what it was and capturing that colonial heritage yes. that we had. So, so I remain very sad about what has happened there, notwithstanding we absolutely needed new bridge crossings, but I still fail to see how a three-lane bridge is going to give us any decent solution to traffic. For sure. Um, And what we are fighting to do is retain the old bridge. There doesn't seem to be a lot of reason to pull it down and it could provide a wonderful access uh, an off-road access for people to get from one side of Windsor to the other. So that opens up all sorts the of old possibilities. Bridge. The old bridge. But we've, we've talked about the two theories there. One is it's, it's the, the flood is going to take it out and take out the new bridge and the other because they want that to go so they can barge sand down. Yeah, but you, look, you're not buying any of those? Uh, well, I, I don't know because the mm. government isn't transparent about it. Right. Um, and nothing really adds up. I mean, I think the application for a sand mining licence that was put in once the bridge construction was underway. <laughs> they probably want to truck sand across this new bridge rather than budge. So, look, I, on, I don't know, it, but isn't that the point? None of it's transparent. But, yeah, it'll um, come out in the wash. Yeah, and I think the other concern I have now as the um, Richmond Bridge right. proposal starts to pan out is... Yes. We're we're being advised that the government's rejected or the RMS says there's not enough money to do any of the bypass options. Now, a whole bunch of two and options... Two and a half, two, two, two hundred fifty million, was that the proposal? Two hundred million from the million. federal government right. plus, um, I think, 20 million from the state government, 10 or 20 million from the state government. Right. Um, when when that commitment was made by the Morrison government, we said, "Well, look, we will at le- we think it needs to be at least two hundred million. So we will we will com- match that commitment with at least two hundred million, because our determination was that you needed to do it once and do it right. That's what hasn't happened in the Hawkesbury for a very long time. Mm. It doesn't get done once, and it doesn't, doesn't get, get done, done right. right. And you just create a problem for further down the track. So I think, I mean, we know we need more crossings and we know that we need uh, a higher, more flood-resistant crossing at Richmond. But the overwhelming feedback from the community that I had was that people wanted to bypass Richmond and North Richmond. They don't want more traffic going through those streets. Uh, they want it to take an alternative 
alternate route, and it looks like those alternatives were ruled out. They're not the. There were a bunch of options, and they didn't include Yarramundi. That's a separate little bridge, the one across the with gross, a developer up because you go the up the Red River. Bank and Keep for Smith. I went up there, and I could not believe that the thousands of houses going up through there. What a nightmare! Grassvale Road, um, and and that's all impacting. Well, that's right. So if you just duplicate the bridge, you inc- you just continue the pressure on the existing roads and existing routes. There is council is looking at the and and the state government, I think, but I think it's largely in council's hands. The route for the Little Gross River crossing, uh, which would yeah. link on into um, Springwood Road at Yarramundi. Now we all know that Yarramundi floods in a spit, so. That's a you know that will have some um, it, that will divert a little bit of traffic, but it's not going to be a major thoroughfare. Uh, it can't just can't cope with it. And then you've got the question: What happens when you hit uh, the main road there, Castle Ray Road? How do, ha, how does traffic flow there? So lots of questions about that. You haven't seen any blueprints. Oh, I am not a road designer, <laughs> but Blind Freddy can see that what's the yeah. way it's been done in the Hawkesbury's been haphazard and little piecemeal stuff. Uh, so, you know, I'm. I think we just really need to um, watch closely how the North Richmond stuff continues. Um, we don't have the same heritage issues on the scale that Windsor had, but it's more about is this the right bridge crossing for the Hawkesbury to help cope with the traffic, which is now starting to get back to more normal levels. It is, and it, well, it won't get back to normal levels because there's another two or three or four or five thousand houses going up uh, Red Bank, Kingford Smith. Uh, uh, away we go, all those little soapboxes, I call them, up through that way. No offence to the people who live there. Um, but we, they need the infrastructure. As you say, there's no infrastructure. The Hawks have been neglected for many years because of our, you know, our, our flood areas, our, where the, our lack of bridges and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, and, and honestly, people should not face a traffic jam the moment they leave their home in a place that's 75 k's from, uh, from the heart of Sydney. Yeah. We, we don't move here to enjoy traffic jams. That's for sure, but they've got to cop them in space and the hawks, I mean, that's just the way it live. At one time, you know, we talk about rate increases and that, you know, land values have gone through the roof and uh, now the rates are, are showing that, you know, $3,300 uh, yearly rate at Oakville is now 9300 People, Even people retirees are getting forced out of their properties, forced to sell up. Uh, it's, it's all about, uh, you know, subdivisions and uh, developers and that taking over the area. 89.9. I know you're busy. Um, and you've got to shoot out, out of here a minute. So what about Scott Morrison and Sally McManus, the first uh, ACTU's uh, girl in uh, 90 years? And, of course, she's up there with Julie, my friend Julia Gillard who brought in the NDIS, which is an absolute dog breakfast at the moment. We will go there next time. Um, her and uh, Scott are having a bit of a combo sort of moment, are they, where they, things might change because of the virus? Well, 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 we'll see. I think there's been comparisons between uh, Scott Morrison's um, bringing together of workers, representatives and businesses. It's been compared to what Bob Hawke did right. in, in the 80s. Now, uh, on the face of it, it looks like it's chalk and cheese to me because what happened back then was the government brought a whole lot to the table. They brought things like support um, for childcare, um, they brought a social security safety net to the table right. to be able to make that part of the accord. And the accord wasn't just a deal between workers and 
employers, it involved the government as well. Now, from what I hear and am reading, this is just um, the Prime Minister saying, oh, well, I'm going to get you two together and you'll sort it out. Now, uh, we just need to see how that goes, but um, then probably needs to be something that has the government bringing something to the table on this as well. Wages have been stagnant for years, haven't they? So wages, the economy was already in a really rough spot in the lead-up to the bushfires. Um, You know, there's no question that, that people want to see jobs, so I think we've all got the outcome now, job creation. And there might need to be some flexibility to do that, but... Uh, one of the things that always worries me is when someone refuses to say that no worker will be worse off. That takes me back to work choices where there was no yes. commitment that workers would at least maintain their current standards. That, and we know workers were worse off. Now, Sally McManus is an amazing woman. Um, I know her quite well. Carlingford girl. Uh, indeed. <laughs> a mad soccer fan. Um <laughs> And she will fight for workers' rights. I think rights. she will. She's, she's got some gumption about her, I think. And, but I think we also need to remember that workers are not just the people who have a part-time job or a casual job or a full-time yeah. job. They're the people who work for multiple bosses, the self-employed contractors who who have to find the work. The employers, yeah. Uh, all those people are also workers. They, you know, they rely on someone else to pay them. Uh, when for a job done. So I think I'd really like to see something that takes into account gig workers, subcontractors, part-timers, people who might feel that in some ways they have their own business but they're entirely dependent on other people to subcontract them work. Uh, So Because we've really got to change how we think about a worker. But they're the sorts of issues that we'll see how they get explored. yeah, we'll just, it's a, it, there's not very much to it, It'll come yet, out in the wash I soon, have, I think. What, yeah, you know. I have great faith in Sally McManus uh, and her ability to make sure that workers are not disadvantaged by things and that we create an environment where we can um, really see more jobs. We need a thriving economy. Right now yes, we are on life that's certain, Yeah, certainly better off than some other countries. Okay, Susie, is that it or Yeah, what? I'm going to have to keep moving. I'm spending a lot of time talking to um, Year 12 students about how they're adjusting. So I've got okay. a, a Zoom Okay, so which high school 12. are you going to? I've spoken to all the high schools um, <laughs> and we're just Zooming. We're not, we're not, it's not, no one who isn't an essential worker on a school site is, is on site at this time. So I'm not going to... Parents aren't even allowed on site. There's yeah. no way I'm going to go on site. I have a great respect for the rules that are being put in place to protect kids and teachers. Right. So we're Zooming. We do a lot of Zooming. Zooming. Yeah. Rodio, again, thanks for coming to the studio. Welcome back, welcome back.